Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in L.A., don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. We ready. It's easy. What you mean? I had it going. Give me a chance. I want to be great. Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. He's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? Hello and welcome to the Wolves Watch podcast. I am Dan Radkin. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Ricky Jimbruno. Rick, how are you today? I'm doing great. One of my favorite pods that we do, man. I know. I'm very excited for this. I, As I was prepping for this, um, I thought the same thing. This is probably arguably my favorite podcast of the year uh, because of the prep work. I love doing the prep work on some of the young guys, who's going to take a leap, what we truly think of some of these guys, and then getting our thoughts out before the season starts. So this can be a lot of fun. Um, for anybody who's listened to the Tough Watch previously, we've done this at least two times, if not three, in past off seasons. So for those that have heard it before, we are doing a slightly different format this year. So as we mentioned on a previous episode, this is going to be covering guys in the 19, 20, and 21 drafts. We strategically leave out the most recent draft class because they haven't played in the league yet. And we cut out guys who have already signed their rookie extensions. So these guys range anywhere from the 2019 guys who are going to be extension eligible to the 2021 class uh, coming into their sophomore season. Uh, Before we get into it. So the format we're going to be drafting or we're doing a draft, which is unique. Uh, We haven't done that in previous years and we're going to be drafting 30 guys. We're going to alternate and end up with the official Wolves Watch 30 for this upcoming season. And before we get into the draft itself, Rick, I kind of wanted to know, because we do this completely separate from one another, so there's no overlap or prep is totally unique to ourselves. What did you kind of do to prep for this podcast? How did you go about kind of ranking these guys and, and coming up with the list? You know, a lot of it is is your gut, but I do try to come up with some some systems to... Uh, have a kind of a check and balance against that. And listeners that have heard me talk about how I do that for the draft every year will will see that this is basically the same thing, which is above all, we're looking for the most talented guys that could reach the highest ceilings, and that would be regardless of position. But then within each of those designations, of course, there are types of players that are more valuable than others. And so I tier it in the same way you would do um, an NBA draft big board, where if somebody is so far and away the best player, even if they are, say, a positional archetype that's not as valuable currently in the league, so that like an example of that would be like a small guard. Right now, I think it's fair to say that that's not a super popular archetype. But having said that, you would rather have Trey Young than a lesser version of a more valuable archetype. You know, so for example, you'd rather have Trey Young than um, his teammate DeAndre Hunter, even though DeAndre Hunter obviously plays a more valuable position overall in the league. Trey Young is just so much better than him that you'd rather have Trey Young. And so uh, that's, that's basically how I do it is... I kind of categorize each of the the big list that I've made of all the draft prospects from those three drafts 
kind of categorize them into into kind of rough groups, um, th- things along the lines of um, three level score, maybe an oversized lead guard, uh, maybe a three and D wing, and then I kind of rank those as far as what are the most valuable ones, and then kind of determine what I think the ceilings of the guys are, and then kind of sort it out from there. So you and I do the tier system. We do it differently. So essentially I started with, I went through each draft class and I came up with my master list of guys that I would consider, which was 51 total players. And then I whittled it down to 30 by basically doing three very rudimentary tiers. The first tier is potential superstar. The second tier is potential all-star and tier three is, you know, potential long-term starter. Um, And that's kind of each, each tier that's their potential peak. Um, And with these guys, like the guys that got left off the list, it is not to say, obviously these guys are very early in their career that they couldn't break into one of these tiers or just be flat better than some of the guys that we add to this 30. Um, But that's kind of how I was able to differentiate between guys that I really like. I mean, there are tier two guys that arguably I like more personally than guys that I had in tier one. Um, But I had to be honest with myself and look at what they've done in the league currently, what their potential ceiling is based on their archetype, their physical stature, the the position that they play, um, which is going to make this, you know, that's what's going to make this really fun is there's guys, you know, Rick mentioned an archetype that him and I really don't both of us in lockstep don't really value, which is, you know, your traditional small guard. Um, But there's going to be guys that rank very highly on this list because they've done tremendously well early in their career. So they deserve to be high on the list coupled with, although that player may not be our preferred archetype, if they, if they are one of the best in the league in that role, then they're still incredibly valuable. Exactly. And so, and we we're going to come to a point like on my list where um you get to a place where somebody might have a higher ceiling but because that ceiling is of I'll give you this example Dan um there's a lot of guys that I will draft later on probably when we get to the late teens and 20s where there are more accomplished guys that I'll pass over. And the reason for that is when you get to a certain point, it's not necessarily more valuable to have a guy that, you know, is maybe a borderline all-star than to have a guy that is an elite specialist. And so the example that I would use is Tobias Harris and Dorian Finney-Smith, right? So unquestionably, Tobias Harris is a better basketball player. And if you took the top 30 players of the NBA out of the NBA, Tobias Harris would be one of the most valuable players in the league because he's a good facsimile of what the greatest players in the league do. However, he is not one of the greatest players in the league. And so if you're building a team, in my opinion, you'd rather have Dorian Finney-Smith because he excels in his role and he can be somebody that would be a really good fourth man, which when you look at some of Philadelphia's playoff struggles, it kind of devolves to like, what does Tobias do exactly? You know? And so once I in on my list, once I get through the guys that I think are likely to be potential all-stars, then I start to really look at some specialists and that might be where you and I take the biggest divergence. Yes, absolutely. Um, I tend to, between the two of us, I tend to value on current on-court performance over potential. 
And that's not to say you won't see me take some swings on this, but you're right. You are you are more willing to step up to the plate and take big swings. I I like we watch so many games, you and I, that I guys who have already performed in the league, I like the certainty of knowing that they've proven at this level they can at least play on the team that they're on and be in a rotation. Um, certain other guys, you're kind of taking a gamble that that will play out for them um, because it hasn't already happened for them. Um, did you want to cover anything else before we just get straight to it? I think let's get straight to it. Uh, so we flipped a coin before we got on the air and Dan won. So Dan is the owner of the first pick in this draft. Dan, who is the player that you would take from the last three drafts above all and how come? Uh, this is, and we'll try and keep it fairly truncated. Absolutely. Because we have Absolutely. 30 guys to get to. Um, this is not going to be a surprise. This is the Wolves Watch podcast. I'm taking the top pick out of the 2020 draft, Anthony Edwards. Um, I don't think this is controversial. I think for a lot of people that would listen to this, they would believe it to be controversial. And maybe my fandom is playing a role in Anthony Edwards getting the top spot. I just vehemently disagree with that. Um, there was really only about three, maybe four guys, if you squint at it, that I thought were worthy of this spot. And Anthony Edwards is physically more imposing than another guard that could have taken it. He is he has not had the injury history of another guy that could have taken this. And he's already on the court proven to be uh, more productive than a third player that I could have put at that spot. So Anthony Edwards, to me, it's a combination of what we've already seen. Um, he obviously was on a team that made the playoffs last year, coupled with the fact that I think his ceiling is potentially the best player in the league. And so for me, putting him at one was not difficult. Yeah, I, I would have also taken Anthony Edwards. And I'll just go right then into the second guy, because I think this is the only other player that, based on what we've seen so far in their career, you could you could envision a scenario where they are the best player in the league. And so this is a big risk. And Dan alluded to this, I'm sure, when he said the injury concerns. I'm going to take Zion Williamson, number two, because of what I just said, I think it's I think it's possible that he could be the best player in the NBA if he just gets healthy. And that that is a tremendous if. He has missed most of his career at this point, um, but has played at such a high level when he has played that he, he warranted a five-year max extension on the first day he was eligible for it. And... Um, what do you think about that, Dan? It is, are you surprised that I take Zion here at number two? No, no, that was, to me, that was the obvious pick. Zion, when he has been on the court, he has shown the potential, similar to Anthony Edwards, to be the best player in, in basketball. And so here, the injury concern is the only concern. It's a real one, but you still can't overlook the fact that the dude averaged 27 points a game in this league. Um and was dominant in doing so without a jump shot. So absolutely, I would have made him too. Yeah, the one the year that he played in the 2020-2021 season, he, especially toward the end of the year, after the All-Star break and on, I mean, he really looked like Shaq, if you could give Shaq the ball at the top of the key and let him back a guy down from the three-point line. Like the evolutionary Shaq, a guy that is just completely unstoppable. He along with Anthony Edwards. So these were the only two guys that I that I listed as, it's not even tier one, it's tier zero, uh, possible MVP candidates, which is to, you know, who knows? Some of these other guys that we draft after them could absolutely get to that place. 
it wouldn't be the first or certainly won't be the last time we'd be wrong about something like that. But to me, those were the only two guys that, at least from what we've seen so far, I think could get there. So, Dan, who do you have with the third pick? And uh, For me, third pick is Evan Mobley, um, which may be somewhat controversial, but Evan Mobley for me, um, it, it's actually pretty easy for me to put him at three. He is, so you mentioned Zion Williamson, who I think is the closest thing we've seen to Giannis-level offensive dominance. Evan Mobley is so good on both ends of the floor to this point in his career, and he's played one NBA season. Um, Offensively, I would love to have seen it be a little more polished, but Jesus, it was his rookie year. Who really cares? Um, What I'm really betting on with Evan Mobley is, number one, his ability to perfect his offensive game, which I think will happen naturally over time. It may even, he may even take an offensive leap this upcoming season. We'll see with that, with that Donovan Mitchell trade. But more importantly, it's the defense and his ability to guard five positions legitimately. I just think he is the most disruptive defensive force potentially that we will see in the NBA as he, you know, matures in his career, which again, it it would make it sound like I'm talking about like a defense only guy. The difference is when we talk like high level defensive players, very few of them are able to do what Evan Mobley already is able to do and will continue to be able to do as he grows, um, which is guard five positions and his physical size allows him to be a rim protector. And I think his offensive game has the opportunity based on his, his like lateral quickness and agility. I think he has the opportunity to be a guy who can both, you know, go back to the basket as a traditional post and also face up and go off the dribble. So I think Evan Mobley at three. Yeah. I, it was very hard for me between Evan Mobley and the guy that I will select fourth in a second. Evan Mobley. I think what it speaks to is it speaks to what our belief of the future of the NBA is. And I think, that and to get a guy like him that is a seven footer can you know I mean they're not really planning on playing him at center anytime soon um, with with Jared Allen being uh, also a foundational player for the Cavs to get a seven footer that is positionless and can impact the game in a in a really high level without ever touching the ball I think these are the, the among the rarest type of players you can find in the NBA. I think the league is, as we saw in that Donovan Mitchell trade, it's not difficult to get a guy like Colin Sexton, a guy that can put the ball in the hoop for 20 to 30 points a game. That There's a ton of dudes like that. There are very, very few guys like Evan Mobley. And so if if you're talking about a team where I think traditionally you would think of you'd be looking at points per game as a real measure of a franchise player. I think the talent level in the league is such that it's it's not that scoring is not hard to come by. It's just that what's even harder to come by is a type of impact player that can play multiple positions and um, that can impact the game at such a high level without ever touching the ball. And I mean, the question is, can he you know, can he then take that step offensively? I don't really see any reason why not. I'm glad that you brought up Giannis. I mean, Giannis, I think if you were to think of how strong of a player Giannis is defensively, I don't want to say that's a given for Mobley, but we're trending in that direction for Mobley. So the only real question is how good will his offensive game be? Because you got to think about Giannis. If Giannis, even if Giannis wasn't, the offensive player that he is, 
his defensive impact would still have him as a annual all-star. So I think that's a great pick. And I, I agree with you on Evan Mobley being among the top guys here. So who do you have for? Hold on. That's a little interruption from the dog. So number four, and this, this, you know, I guess I had him at number three. It's splitting hairs with Evan Mobley, but it's the, the same thing from last year's draft, the one and two in the NBA rookie of the year race. I'm going to take Scotty Barnes from Toronto and Scotty Barnes so greatly exceeded expectations last season, a guy that was able to score at a level that I wasn't really expecting with a relatively unpolished offensive skill set. He has tremendous physicality. He's already in a man's body at 20 to 21 years old. He is the type of guy that everybody that has been around him believes in him unconditionally. And I remember before the draft, the last season, David Thorpe had him as the number one player on his draft board. And it was very surprising for me and very controversial, but he had the inside information of his son was Scotty Barnes' teammate at Florida State University and swore by him, you know, and he gets to Toronto, same thing. They trusted him with a lot of responsibility for a young player, and he exceeded expectations greatly. All of the Toronto writers talk about him like he's a future franchise player. Um, Obviously, the fans believe that as well. He He's a guy that, at the bare minimum, if he just was fossilized as what he is right now, a player, he'd be a max guy that everybody would want to have. But the, the upside of him being able to develop more as an on-ball player is, is tantalizing. And you'd be talking about the type of guy, big wing offensive and defensive threat that every team is looking to acquire. I mean, we're you look at the Clippers have two of them, right? They have Kawhi and Paul George, and you, you just go up and down the league on these young guys, and you're like, who could be the next big wing star, the next Jason Tatum? And I think Scotty Barnes is probably the best bet that we have in the NBA currently of young guys that could get there. Yeah, I agree with Scotty, the Scotty Barnes pick. He was going to be next on my list. Um, I don't really have anything to add. I think he's, I think he's going to be, and he found the right landing spot too. I think him in Toronto is, is a hand in glove situation for the type of player he's going to become. So um, I have a question for you about Toronto, Dan, in that regard, because I've been thinking about this a lot. Is Toronto a candidate to perhaps make a quick pivot to, Scotty Barnes timeline if they determine that with the team they currently have there the ceiling is not really there there's so many teams that are going for it right now there's really only three four teams in the whole league that are tanking do you could you see Toronto being a stealthy team to sell some stuff off or do you think Scotty's going to take the type of leap this year that it would appropriately slot guys like Siakam than Vliet to their appropriate levels. Yeah, I've thought about Toronto a lot too. You and I are big Toronto fans. Um, I think they're more likely to pivot and sell. And the reason is the league is going to be craving um, specific teams like bad teams um, and desperate teams are going to be craving access to guys like Van Vliet or Siakam. 
And so I think the price is going to be right to do a sale. And I think Toronto would be more than happy with the idea of selling off one of those guys for, you know, 110 cents on the dollar to be able to more appropriately slot guys alongside Scotty Barnes. And Toronto has, you know, they were the ones who obviously they made the Kawhi trade to win the finals. Like they're a team that they could see it as an option to basically upgrade in a year or 18 months where if we sold Siakam for more than what we believe he's worth and we stockpiled some picks as part of it. And then we use those picks to acquire a guy that we thought was maybe, you know, an upgraded version of Pascal Siakam at some point, if somebody became discontented and, and a team was looking to unload him. I just think that's more likely than Scotty Barnes turning himself into, you know, an all-star this season where they think maybe in the Eastern conference, they could, they could be really frisky in the playoffs. Um, but it'll be fun to watch either way. I think this team is set up really well, whether it be through trade or natural growth. I think this team is going to be really, really tough. I think they're going to be, you know, I think they've built themselves to be a consistent and sustainable franchise, whether, whether they're deciding to go for a championship or go toward the bottom given season. I don't think it really matters with the infrastructure that they have, because I think whatever they're going to do, they're going to do the smart thing. And they're, they're really, they're an interesting team this year because they're one of, and we'll, we'll have to dive deeper into this when we, look at win totals this year, but they're one of the very few teams that is at a fork in the road here. A lot of teams this offseason made their choice. The Cavs made their choice. The Wolves made their choice. The Hawks made their choice. On the flip side of that, the Jazz made their choice. The Spurs made their choice. And so they are a team that you could see it go a lot of different ways, which is why they were rumored to be in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes. Um, And so... But anyway, enough about that. Let's go to number five, Dan. I think this, to me, those four guys, it's not that it was easy, but I felt more strongly about those four guys in this next group of players here. So I'm really curious to see who you have at five, and I'm praying that we diverge here at some point. (laughs) Yeah, we're about to. Um, I'm confident with this pick it begins. So there's a guy falling on this board. Um, and if anybody's listening to this live or is listening to this as a podcast after the fact, there's a guy falling and, and we know. Uh, number five, he's still going to continue to fall. I'm going with uh, Cade here. I'm going Cade Cunningham. Um, I would like to be I would like to be looked upon kindly by Pistons Twitter, which is really developing quite a following. Um, Cade, to me, it's a bet. And I didn't love certain things that I saw in the first half of last season for Cade. Um, He missed some games with injury. I really liked what I saw, and it could be fool's gold in like the last 20 to 25 games. I thought he looked a lot more comfortable late in the season. And the bet that I'm making is he's a big, I mean, he's 6'6", and he's the type of ball handler and primary initiator that, you know, if you squint, he's almost perfect. Um, He's not going to... He's not going to wow you with athleticism, but I think his basketball IQ and his decision-making is is pretty high-level stuff. And I think what we saw in college from him as a scorer didn't necessarily translate uh, for most of last season. I mean, he struggled from the three-point line for a lot of the year, but I think the scoring is in there and I think will be found now that he's going to be going into a second season and probably won't feel quite the weight that he felt during his rookie season. And I just like what Detroit's building. So Cade is the type of guy that like his physical size and his archetype are kind of the the types of guys that I really arguably overvalue. 
coupled with the fact that he's really going to be given the keys there in Detroit with every opportunity to become the man. And um, I just really, again, it's, it's a big bet on what I saw in the last probably third of the season last year. No, I think, I think, I mean, I would imagine based on what I've seen, you know, like on NBA draft Reddit, for example, I would imagine most people would have Cade above Scotty and Evan Mobley. I think when you typically see redrafts, people stick with Cade at number one in that draft. Obviously, you and I don't agree with that based on the picks we just made, but I think you make great points about Cade. I think where I, and I think you agree with this too, but like where I'm less high on Cade than the consensus is that I'm I'm somewhat concerned that he's a player for this current or the past era of the NBA and not the player for the future of the NBA, if that makes any sense. Um, you're ne- he's not going to get Jalil Okafor because at that, you know, a ball, a guy with the ball in his hands is like, it's not really possible for that to happen, but it's a long, that's, that's the, that's kind of the thought process I'm having here, which is when I look at what I think the future of the NBA is, it's about length and about strength. And Cade is tall for a point guard at six six, but he's not he's not like a positionless player. You know, he's very much a one position guy that if he could get to a place where he's, you know, consistently getting like twenty five, five and five or higher on the assist numbers, you know, obviously that's gonna speak for itself. Um the question for me is there was I forget how many it was. I don't know if you saw this stat, but there was something like 40 players in the NBA last year that averaged over 20 points a game. I think I got that from when R.J. Barrett got his extension. And so along the lines of what I was saying when we were talking about Evan Mobley, I I just think that there's a lot of guys that can get you that, and there's less guys that can give you what you might need to succeed at the highest levels when these guys come into their own. But that's to be seen because we just don't know. We really don't know if the future of the NBA is Evan Mobley, Chet Holmgren, Victor Wembanyama. We don't know. I mean, the present of the NBA is players like Cade Cunningham, without a doubt. And so to me, it's just a bet I'm making about the future of the league, but that's a big unknown. Yeah, so who do you, this is where I'm curious. So where are we going at six now? I'm taking the guy that's very much like Cade Cunningham, but I just like him better. I'm taking the mellow ball at number five. Um, You know, I think he does everything that Cade Cunningham does. I think if you're building a team, you're building the exact same style of team with LaMelo Ball versus Cade Cunningham. Um, I, I just think LaMelo Ball has the creativity and the, the star power in a way that Cade maybe doesn't. And I think that it's, it's very possible that LaMelo ball has the type of third year where it's like, well, we all forgot about LaMelo ball this summer. Like no one talked about Charlotte, but he could come out this season. And I think it's very likely he will. And, you know, I said, Cade is 25, five and five. I think LaMelo, I would expect LaMelo to be 25, five and 10 this year. Very much so, especially with how the season has gone for Charlotte. I don't know what that offense is going to look like now that Steve Clifford is back in the fold, but my hope would be that 
Steve Clifford really spends a lot of time focusing on defense as he has in the past and that he just lets LaMelo loose on offense and they play grab and go like they did before. So I'm going to roll right into seven here because it's going to touch on what I want to say about LaMelo Ball. So at seven, I'm, I am going to get him off the board. I'm going to take Ja here. Um, ja at seven on the face of it looks ridiculous. But what I want to say is LaMelo Ball, do you put him at six? We have John Moran at seven. Anybody listening to this pod, that sounds ridiculous based on what they've done in the league thus far. And I also am just stylistically, I would rather have LaMelo Ball. Like if I'm drafting a team, I just prefer the LaMelo Ball style player at that position than I do John Morant. But here's the deal. John Morant has shown one thing that if you're betting on most of these guys, this is a complete unknown and you're not going to know it until you see it for the first time. John Morant has proven in high leverage moments, he can play at a very high level and take a team, you know, in a, in a late game possession where you need a bucket the dude comes through. Um, that is something that it sounds like a really, you know, sports talky kind of thing uh, to say, to defend a guy like John Moran. But I'm sorry, in the, in the league, it really, really matters. Like you and I get so jaded by watching a lot of bad teams where late in games when it's tight, that team completely shuts down and just cannot figure out a way to put the ball in the basket. Oh, you mean you mean the first not... round series between the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves? <laughs> the difference yeah, exactly. Between... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, like, I, I think it's one of those things where, although I would rather not have Ja, I, he would not be my preferred point guard just because of his size and what his game is. He's a scoring point guard and he's small. At a certain point on this list, and I think seven is more than fair, you have to you have to account for a, the current level of productivity. And he has definitely maximized whatever John Morant's ceiling is within the league, but also like he is a big shot maker. He is a big late possession guy. He's a guy you can count on in a big game in a playoff series. And that's something that nobody else on this list has proven. So I think we need to at least give that its due here. Yeah. And unlike everybody else on the list, he has led his team to a 50 plus win season. And so he exactly right. I mean, everything you said about his intangibles, he's a big ball player. He obviously galvanizes his teammates in a way that is truly special, immeasurable, where perhaps the measurement is the wins. Uh, The reason why I have him lower, and the reason why I have him lower than LaMelo Ball, for example, is my concern that we are currently in his peak because of his play style. And so... Obviously, my hope is that he plays at a high level for 15 more years. I, The fear that I have is that he could, he could break down with injuries because of how small he is and because of the physical style that he plays. And so, but, so I would just need to get the guys off the board that I feel like could be arguably as good as him but for a longer period of time until I'm comfortable taking him. But he was he was obviously right in this range for me as well. Okay, so where do you go eight? I think with eight, you go with what I would venture to say is the last guy. Yeah, definitely. The last player available that has already proven themselves to be an engine of a good offense, of a good team. I would imagine you have the same guy in this range also, but Darius Garland off the Cavs. Yep. All my tier one guys are now off the board. Yep. You took the last one. 
Yeah, and Darius Garland, I think there's a good argument to be made that Darius Garland is a better prospect, better long-term play than Ja or LaMelo Ball. I think if you look at the type of guard he is, his ability to create difficult off-the-dribble shots for himself, but also effectively run a team in the half court. He just has the appearance of a guy. I mean, he made the All-Star game in his third season. He has the look of a guy that's going to be a 10-time All-Star at that position. And so the real demarcation for me is if you have the ability to get a guy like LaMelo Ball, who's maybe eight inches taller than him, I'm going to do that. Or if I have the ability to get a Cade Cunningham, who's five, six inches taller than him, I'm going to do that because of what we've been talking about in terms of the length and um, strength that these players coming into the league have. And so obviously for Darius Garland to have produced how he's produced as a six foot, six foot one guard, it speaks to how high level it's been that we are having him this high on our board or Dan said he's a tier one guy. I agree. I mean, he's potentially a franchise point guard. The Cavs gave him a five year extension the moment they could He's going to be on a team that has an opportunity to be very good. I mean, you look at our list, and we have him and and Evan Mobley in the top 10 here. There's no other team that has multiple guys in the top 10. And then they also, oh, by the way, have Donovan Mitchell, three-time All-Star. Jared Allen, first-time All-Star last season. He has the opportunity to be on a really great team, which will see his stock rise. Yes. And Darius Garland, it, it's both the current level of productivity coupled with the fact that you're right. And comparing him to a guy like John Morant, obviously athletically, he's not, he's not the superior athlete that John Morant is. He plays a more, for lack of a better term, a more careful style of basketball from that position. So injuries, injuries are always a concern with a small player, but less a concern with the guy who doesn't throw himself at the hoop every play. And he also proved himself to be a really good floor general in the half court, which again, on a team that just traded for Donovan Mitchell, there's going to be a lot of guys on that team that can eat up offensive possessions. He'll be tasked with getting them the ball. So, um, I mean, the amount of self-created threes that they can get out of, out of that backcourt, it's that they'll probably lead the league this season in that figure. And I think the real question for me, I mean, it was re I was reasonably close to having Garland ahead of John Morant. And the reason for that is because I think what is more sustainable? Is it Darius Garland's ability to create deep threes for himself? Or is it John Morant's ability to get to the basket? So, Dan, we actually maybe have our first caller. Do you want to, should we take him? Yeah, go for it. What's up, bro? Do we so, got uh, you? So you guys were talking about John Morant, right? Who was yep. selected in the two, uh, 2019 NBA draft. I think that this guy is probably the great, like, I think it was a great pick to get him, to get him in the draft, because um, he's a really great passer, he can, he can distinguish the ball to so many athletes on, on the court, so he can get everybody, you know, active and get everybody to get a shot off, you know, get them involved, so, um, you know, I, I agree with you guys, you know, like, your uh, analysis on John Moran, I think he's a really good player, you know. I'm a Warriors fan, so, you know, every time we play him, you know, it's always competition, competition every single day. So, you know, it's 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 hard going against somebody like John Morant because he is a good player. It's not easy to go against him. Like, anytime we lose, you know, it really, you know, really feel, like it really sucks to lose to such a great player like John Morant. And oh, yeah. 
And by the way, they are playing the Grizzlies on Christmas Day in the Christmas Day lineup for all the Christmas Day games. They are going to be playing uh, Memphis. The Memphis Grizzlies are going to be playing the Warriors on Christmas Day. So yeah, that's going to be I, pretty I, exciting. I'm, I've kind of felt like the Grizzlies were my, and you tell me if I'm completely off base here on this, is the Grizzlies with Ja, Bain, and Jaron Jackson, those three guys remind me a little bit of, in different play styles altogether, but a little bit in terms of their swagger and their chemistry together as a very young Steph, Clay, and Dre. And so I love watching those two teams play each other because the play style is really different. But the Grizzlies' young guys have no fear whatsoever going up against those guys. And you can see it in the way that like Draymond talks to the guys and talks about the guys, that there's a mutual respect there for their competitiveness. And so that that is a particular matchup that I just love to watch. And, and another thing I would like to add is that um, Brandon Clark, Currently plays for the Grizzlies. He played for San Jose, for our basketball team, for the San Jose State basketball team back in, when he was playing for our school. And um, I didn't really get. And the thing that really sucked is that I didn't really uh, that I really regret is I didn't really get to see him ball out for San Jose State after he got traded to the Grizzlies. Um, you know, he was really great for our school. He really like brought our. We're in a little small little school and up in San Jose. He played for our school, so he was really good. You know. He brought that talent to our to our organization. You know, you know we we had a lot of players playing back in the day, but um, I I totally regret because um, if I was there to see him live in person to see him ball out, it will be it will be really sweet. But you know, you know he he's not playing for our school anymore. He's out here playing for the Grizzlies. So, you know, he's a good basketball player. You know, pretty young. He's a he's a he's a young guy. But you it's, know, yeah, still, it's possible we'll take really him well, here. So. I mean, yeah, I, I well, love the guy. You know. Brandon Clark, yeah, I, really great. Really I great appreciate player. the, I appreciate this calling, man. Yeah, we, uh, it's very possible if you keep listening that you're going to hear Brandon Clark taking off the board here uh, later in this this draft. But yeah, because I like, because um, when I looked at Brandon Clark, um, it did make me sad to see him, you know, rocking that 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 Spartan uniform and and every day <laughs> people seeing him rocking that rocking the blue and gold because you know, you know, I, I I mean when I when I watch his highlights, I mean I'm like. I mean, like this guy's young, but like even young players can just have an amazing game. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just like you, you, you can't deny. Like if somebody's like twenty-one, you know, even a twenty-one-year-old can just put up like you know thirty points a game or forty points a game, or you know, absolutely. So, so we have four guys on our list, and then we'll let you go here. There's four guys that are on the Warriors that are available to be picked: Kaminga, Moody. Wiseman, Jordan Poole. How do you feel about the the young guys that the Warriors have? I mean, I like Poole. I mean, I like Poole, uh, Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody. I think they're all really wonderful. I think they all, you know, they're rookies. So, you know, got to shout love for the rookies, man, because the rookies also, you know, put their, like, they also play really hard. So, you know, I love Moody. I mean, Moody's good, you know. Wiseman's pretty good, but he's he's having a lot of injury issues lately. Um with the meniscus tear and all all of the injuries that he's been having throughout the year, so it's pretty really been tougher for Wiseman, you know. But I wish that you know he keeps battling out through all the injuries he's been having throughout the season and just kind of getting better, um, just as a basketball player because you know injuries are never good. You know, it's a sports. It's I mean in sports you are gonna endure some type of injury throughout the season. It might be an ACL tear, it might be a meniscus tear, it might be a hamstring tear. 
might be anything like that in terms of those. But uh, I mean, I just like I just like the Warriors, man. Just like you know, I think that we have we have the ability to to be back to back champions next year in twenty twenty three if with if we're healthy with Curry and Draymond Green and Klay Thompson. I think we're we're gonna be pretty healthy next year. Come back and and get another championship next year in twenty twenty three and uh maybe uh going for a three peat. So I'm I'm going for a for twenty twenty two win win another championship in twenty twenty three and then get another in twenty twenty four. So I'm going for a three peat. <laughs> there you go, man. Hey, thank you, thank you for calling in, brother. We appreciate it. Hey, yeah, uh, thank you. it's always great calling in, and anytime you have another call-in show, don't hesitate to hook me up. I'll, uh, I'll definitely try and call in. Anytime. Yes. Well, subscribe so you know when we're going to be on, man. Um, see you later. Yeah, see ya. As a shout-out to our caller, I'm, I'm sitting here at the ninth pick, and there's a bunch of guys. This is where the draft gets really fascinating to me, because now that we're done with Tier 1 guys, the Tier 2 guys are all really close for me. Um, and as a shout-out, I'm going to go with the Warrior here and take Jonathan Kaminga. Um, ah. He was in range here. Jonathan Kaminga is going to be a guy that, you know, this upcoming season, maybe the next couple of years, um, this pick may not age all that well. My bet is that as his career continues to develop and grow, this pick is going to look wonderful three, four, five years out from now. Um, he plays on a team that isn't going to need as much from him as some of these other guys on the list, just because it is the Warriors. They did win a championship this past season, and they still have a lot of those veterans on the team. So what he's going to be asked to do He's going to be allowed to grow in a way that some of these other guys aren't because there's not going to be as much expected. Jonathan Kaminga to me, though, he's a freakish athlete. I love I love his body type. Um, and I think he is a, a really disruptive force on both ends of the floor. What I'm looking for from Kaminga this upcoming season is can you turn into a lockdown defender to maybe make up for some of the aging that we've seen in Clay's game and maybe take the the assignment of guarding you know, the, the predominant scoring wing on the other team. Um, and can you also be the type of guy that is just constantly moving, slashing, sitting in the dunker spot, getting buckets for the Warriors, making life easier on some of the other guys. So uh, Jonathan Kaminga here for me at nine. I love Kaminga, man. You know that um, he would have been my pick as well. And I love him on the Warriors because he, I mean, his productivity for a 19-year-old was, was str- I mean, strong. I mean, he scored at a really high level um, in the minutes that he played. And the reason why I like him on the Warriors versus if he had ended up on Houston or OKC is he is going to have to earn his keep, and he's going to have to learn how to play a winning brand of basketball because what he already has is that of a very physical, athletic, talented, potentially a three-level scorer. Like, to me, these are all things that we know. And if he was cut loose on a bad team, I think he could get you buckets right away. But I, I like that he's going to be forced to earn his keep, learn how to play defense, learn how to see the court. And we, we know that that's possible. I mean, we've seen what the Warriors were able to do with Andrew Wiggins much later in his career. I mean, imagine the type of player Andrew Wiggins would have become if he had been drafted by the Warriors as a 19-year-old. You know, and that's, and that's basically the, the starter kit that Jonathan Kaminga has. And in fact, I would argue that while he's not as athletic as Andrew Wiggins is, he's more physical. And so I think that... No question. Whatever his ceiling is, and I think it's immense, I think he has a very good chance of hitting it. Yeah, so where are you going at 10 now? 
the Tickerman got the board. I think you have to go with there's a, there's a range of guys from that draft here, and I think you have to go with Franz Wagner here. Um, he, when we talk about productivity, he was arguably the uh, he was arguably the best player in the draft from the draft last year in terms of just his ability to impact winning basketball, which is funny because he played for this terrible team. But he, I think he was branded as kind of a three and D guy. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the fact that he's like a tall white guy, but there's, there's so much more to his game. I mean, you have a very hard time even picking out a weakness in his game, but then you look at the fact that as a 20 year old rookie, he was able to score 15, 16 points a game efficiently. And you start to, and you see what he's able to do as a pick and roll ball handler at six foot 10. And you start to, reevaluate your biases about why you would even put a ceiling on a guy like that. And so he, to me, I think he's the best of both worlds where much like we said about Evan Mobley, if he doesn't somehow magically never gets better than he currently is right now, I think you'd have teams considering to give him a max. Um, And if he finds more of an upside, which when we talk about the type of teams where they're building through length and strength, that's the Orlando Magic strategy. And I'm very, very curious to see, and in the most positive way possible, what that Franz Wagner, uh, Paulo Boncaro front court is going to look like because they have a real potential to cart out five guys that are damn near seven feet tall. And with Franz Wagner and with Paulo Boncaro, two guys that can handle the ball and pass the ball at an extremely high level at that size. Yeah. Franz would have been next, man. We are really, I'm going to have to throw a curveball in. Nah, don't worry. My curveballs are, are forthcoming. Okay, good. Yeah. Cause Franz would have been my pick as well. Um, I am extremely so, and this will be a conversation topic that's going to come up with some guys um, as a justification for maybe why they fell down the board. Um, because if a lot of people that cover the league were to do this exercise, guys that are more plugged in, there are definitely players they would have had higher on the board than we will. Part of it to me is where they play. And the reason Franz, although he's on Orlando, the reason Franz would made it high up on my list is I am a believer in what Orlando is is building. And I do believe they're building a pretty clear identity, um, unlike some other teams uh, that have players that are going to be on this board. So I'm high on the player. I'm high on the situation. I like what I see. I think there's identity building. I think there's culture building, which is which is what you need for some of these guys to pan out the way that we believe they can. Um, so 11 on my board is going to be, and this, I'm not going to lie to anybody. This is a homer pick. I'm taking Jane McDaniels. Um, oh, that is a curveball. That's not your curveball. That's just how it was. No, this is my curveball, but he okay. was he was he was going to be anywhere between now and probably the next six picks. So I mean, it's not like a huge reach. I will say the reason is he pairs well with Franz Wagner in this way. Um, Jade McDaniel's is a guy that I believe is going to be a two-way wing that, based on the team he plays on, his offensive game is going to develop at a pace that I think fits him very well. He's not going to be asked to do a ton. Uh, last year, he was he was basically a three-point specialist, um, and he was able to do a little bit off the dribble, but just not asked to do much. And I think as Jaden grows into his role on the team, especially because 
he was drafted the same year as Ant. I think their timelines match perfectly. And what I see in Jaden is a guy who is going to continue. He's already a very good defensive player. I think he will continue to grow that side of his game as it is his primary attribute right now. And he will be asked to, to do some very challenging things on the basketball court uh, to make up for some other deficiencies um, in the backcourt potentially. And I think his offensive game, it's going to grow perfectly because right now he's going to be mostly a spot up corner three shooter, but he is a talented player. He was a high level high school prospect. He does have some off the bounce game and he will be able to attack closeouts. So he's not going to be able to ask to go one-on-one against a set defender. When he attacks, he's going to be attacking a closeout. And we saw that in flashes last year. I think as that grows, Jaden is going to be kind of like the perfect future player as his body builds out. Um, He's going to be kind of like a lot of the guys we've been talking about. He's got good physical size and he's going to be able to do it on both ends at a high level. Yeah, Jaden was both better than I think the national media thought he was last season, and I think way worse, better. But but also here's the the flip of that: worse than I think Timberwolves fans think he is last season. Um, the thing he needs to do this year is he needs to foul less, and that sounds like very and it is reductive, and it's very simple. But one of the main reasons why he couldn't consistently play a big role for the Timberwolves last year is he couldn't keep his hands off of dudes. And in order for him, for them to be able to count on him to be the player that they need him to be, and obviously they probably elected to keep him as opposed to two picks that they gave to the Utah Jazz in order for them for that to be a justified decision, I think the biggest thing is he needs to figure out how to guard without fouling. And once he does that, I think the sky's the limit for him defensively. Offensively, I think they found more success later in the season when they did go a little bit more away from just having him as a spot-up shooter and had him try to cut and and play even on-ball a little bit more. I'm a little bit skeptical of what his on-ball game could be, but I'm open to it you know, to him growing a lot in that area. The team obviously thinks the world of him. And I just am going to be very curious to see how this plays out at the very beginning of the season. The reason for that is we're going into this season with the narrative around Jaden is basically the exact same that it was last year going into the season, which is he played extremely well at the end of his rookie year, People thought they had a steal. He's already a really great defender. Marker him into the starting lineup. And it just ended up being too much for him at the beginning. He didn't find success until they started bringing him off the bench. Um, And the team really, really wanted him to be a starter. You know? And um, so I'm going to be curious to see how he handles that this season. Because... I don't want to say that there's not there's less of a natural substitute for him if he doesn't handle it because it's not as if you know he started last season the front court was him Josh Okoge and Carl Towns in the first <laughs> first game of the season they didn't expect Jared Vanderbilt to be the guy that was going to play next to Cat and kind of make everything work I'm very curious to see now that Jaden is absolutely sharpied into the starting lineup here how he handles that responsibility early in the season and how he's able to impact the game. No, this season will determine whether or not that reach edge is made is, is going to be validated. 
Um, because Jaden is one of those guys that given he's going to be on a, a team competing in the playoffs, this is not, you know, you, we talked about Franz Wagner before. That's a guy that going into this season is not expected to play a pivotal role on a team that wants to win a playoff series. Right. Jaden McDaniels is. And if he can, then I believe this pick will be justified or it's going to be egg on my face at the end of this season. I mean, it'll be, it'll be that quick. Yeah. So for context for me, I had him number 20. So like I definitely had him ahead of some guys that are flashier, more scoring oriented players, but there's still players on the board that I feel like have all-star potential on the offensive end that I just, I got to cycle through first. Go for it. Let's start at 12. I got to take Jalen Green. I think to me, yep. the reason why he's even fallen this far speaks to what we believe the future of the NBA is. And I, I kind of have him and Cade in a similar group, which is I think if we were drafting for last decade, I think those two guys would rate extremely high. And the concern that I have with Jalen Green is he's not very tall. He's very slight. And what does he do other than get buckets for himself? And and he does do that as, at his age. He does that at an extremely high level. This is going to be a big season for him and for us to determine, like, is this is they're they're building around him as a franchise player right now? Is he a franchise player, or is he a guy that you know is maybe an all star? Is he a Colin Sexton? Like who is Jalen Green? How good is Jalen Green? And so I think there's a lot of questions about that currently. I think if he if they did a redraft and it was just the teams again, I think absolutely the earliest he could go was four. And and I think it could even be a little lower than that. And so now having said all of that, though, like what he is good at, he's so much better at than almost everybody else on the list that I, I feel like you just, you got to take him here. No, he this is where he should land. Um, and this is what I was referencing here a few minutes ago. He plays for the Houston Rockets. The reason he fell on my board is my complete bewilderment with what the Houston Rockets are doing. We yeah. still have no idea what Houston is trying to do, what they're well, trying to do. What build. they're trying to do is they're they're currently just trying to accumulate players at, in an amorphous playing style that will be decided when their best players emerge. You know what I'm saying? So it's like and that's why it's so clunky right now is they have a bunch, they drafted a shitload of guys that play a lot of different styles and they're basically just waiting for several of them to emerge and then they can be like okay well that's our play style but to be honest with you rick like that's the danger in having a guy like jalen green in that type of an, an environment so i don't think that's, that, i don't think that's smart i to be clear like i think if you look at the lessons of the tanking era from last decade there's so many i mean it's just the difference between tanking in 2022 versus tanking in 2012 is you have all of this recent history of how teams have done exactly what you are attempting to do. Unlike if you were tanking in 2012, is way more of a mystery of how this is going to go. And I think we've seen this exact team building strategy with the Timberwolves and we've seen it fail. And I think the, the smarter thing to do is to, it's not to try to pigeonhole guys into roles that don't fit them, but it's also, it's like, it's not letting the inmates run the asylum. You know what I mean? And 
it's you got to have some level of structure around these guys, and that's why I'm more bullish on Jonathan Kaminga, for example, is if Jalen Green was on the Golden State Warriors, I'd be way high on his ceiling because he'd have to figure out a way to contribute to a championship-level team to get on the court. There's no well, such pressures things, there in Houston, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, and, and certain things would be expected of him. The problem with Jalen Green that I see is at what point do you, and I mean, again, maybe it's in Jalen Green and, and I will be proven wrong and I will be, you know, I will be very high on him going forward. But like, at what point does it become an essential part of his game that he plays good on ball defense? At what point in his development? Uh, does it become, not anytime soon, because he will physically not be able to for a while. Yeah. If at, at all. Is, is there an expectation that Jalen Green, you know, actively get his guys involved? Like, I mean, honestly, Jalen Green is a player that I worry about so much because this is a landing spot issue for me. It's not a Jalen Green issue. So, uh, but I agree with you. He couldn't have fallen any further because his potential is sky high. I mean, he is a phenomenal prospect. It's just I've, I'm super low on on the direction Houston is going. Um, so at 13 then, so Jalen Green's off the board. At 13, I'm taking a – I mean, you could call it a swing. I'm taking Josh Giddy here. Um Josh Giddy in his first season with Oklahoma City um, showed more to people than I think uh, was believed of him. I Anybody who listened to the Tough Watch, I was very high on him when we did our draft prep for 2021. And I was um, low. I'll raise my hand yeah. there. I was low. Yeah, and, and what we saw in Josh Giddy, and, and it's as simple as this for me. He is 6'8". He has incredible vision. He is a willing passer. So I think he will fit on any winning team. So if he if OKC can turn this collection of prospects and this collection of future picks into a team that can compete at a high level in this league, Josh Giddy fits on any team that has those aspirations. And I think that's insanely valuable. He also proved to be able to be a pretty decent finisher at the rim, especially with the size. Yeah, I agree. I I think he he is maybe the questions that I have about him are how is he going to be able to leverage what he's special at, which is his physicality and his passing? How is he going to be able to leverage that to an advantage on offense? Because, you know, right now he's obviously not the type of guy that has the type of quickness or shake to be able to beat a guy off the dribble. And he is, what he is really great at is grabbing the ball off the rim and running. And so we know Oklahoma city, they're, Unlike Houston, where we're like, well, what is their strategy here? We know what Oklahoma City's strategy is, which is to have five guys on the court that can grab the ball off the rim and and take the ball on a fast break and either be the screener in a pick and roll or the ball handler in a pick and roll. And he fits that to a T. So the question to, that I would ask you, Dan, is like, what do you? How do you think he gets to a place where in a half court scenario? Because to me, in like. It's very clear. In the open court, he's basically like LaMelo Ball. But in a half-court situation, how how can they leverage that height and passing? Or will they ever be able to? And then like the other part of it is, how do you see his role on the team with a ball-dominant guy like SGA? Or do you think the future of the team is Giddy and not SGA? I believe it will be Giddy after a period of time. Um, but I will say this. Let's say SGA stays put. Here's what I envision for a guy like Josh Giddy, and you really have to have his height to make this work. 
is if he's playing off ball with SGA and he's able to, you know, back cut and he gets a pass, his height will allow him to now create what is the best shot opportunity that SGA couldn't have created with the ball in his hands at the top of the key. So I see there being a ton of opportunity where if they were able to implement, you mentioned how how versatile everybody that's going to be on the court is. I think the vision is, well, if we run a Golden State style system where everybody's moving constantly, Josh Giddy getting a pass and his ability to then immediately with his vision and, and physical size create that second pass. That's where I see, and I mean, again, this is what the Draymond role has always been, where it's like Draymond just happens to be a really adept passer, but he's the the physical height of a forward. So it's like there are things that he's going to be able to do playing from the elbows, you know, playing from mid post that other guys just aren't able to do. So I see Josh Giddy in a similar way. The other thing that Josh Giddy has is he has that ability so he can seamlessly kind of play within a, a system. But he also proved himself to be a good finisher, so he's a threat to actually go to the rim, which will also make his passing that much more valuable. Um, and again, I don't think Josh Giddy is ever going to be a player that is going to go, you know, 25 and 10 or something like that. But what I do believe is he's going to rebound really well for his position. It's It honestly is like the Draymond comp. It's like you have to watch the games, and you'll come out of that being like, Oh, so he stacks up assists and rebounds and averages 16 points a game efficiently. Like, that's a guy that I really want. Yeah, some more Boris Diaw would just be like, what, like, what the fuck? Like, what? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, because that is what, like, OKC is trying to build five Boris Diaws. You know, that's like, correct. that's basically the strategy here. And it's just, it's so interesting to see at these archetypes that the league didn't know what to do with become in vogue again i mean you think about what the ideal kind of like foreman now is the foreman that like i wanted nothing to do with a while ago which is like your josh smith type you know just yes. like a guy that can leverage their athleticism and guard a bunch of different positions it's just, it's just that to me when you're like watching a sport evolve over a long period of time like that's one of the most fun things to see is is these play styles go in and out as teams kind of figure out how to actually use these guys effectively. But yeah, I was, I was dead wrong on Josh Giddy. I was, I thought he was the guy I was trying to protect against our biases. Cause I thought, you know, eh, am I just kind of Ricky Rubioing a little bit where like, he just is so visually aesthetically pleasing to watch play that I'm overlooking like some very obvious flaws. And the thing that stands out about him and I think is really truly unique about him is, is his size, man. Like he is a gigantic dude. And I think like if you, I mean, there's just not a team in the league that wouldn't want a guy that big that can pass like that on the court with you. And it really doesn't Yeah, to your point about Draymond, like it really doesn't matter what his technical position is because he's going to be additive at least offensively for your team. Absolutely. So let's let's move on to fourteen. Yeah, I'm 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 kind of, I'm gonna break from my board slightly, um, you know, within this, the same tiers though. I'm gonna take Desmond Bain here at fourteen, and I'm curious where you had Bain on your board because I think everybody's pretty familiar with what his game is. He was anywhere from twelve to nineteen, so we're we're right in that range. I would have had him 
right I mean right in here. He would have been probably between 15 and 19 for me. Yeah, I think I'm a little higher on his ceiling than the consensus is. I think he was just dynamite last season. And when the Timberwolves played the Grizzlies last year, he was the man that put fear in our heart. Obviously, like one of the reasons for that is they sold out to defend John Morant, so he didn't have a very good series. But Desmond Bain, to be a second-year player, even though he is old for his draft class, to be a second-year player that's a late first-round pick and be the second-best player on a team that wins 56 games, that's just... That, that's something that none of, <laughs> none of these other guys have. And and it's not just that intangible thing where, like, this guy's a fucking dog. He's a great culture guy. His, it, that, that, these are sometimes intangible things that are used to pump a guy up when there's nothing good about them tangibly. But we're talking about a guy that took 11 threes per 100 possessions, which could and should be much higher going forward, even though that's already like a, a fairly large number. Like for example, Steph Curry takes 16 threes per hundred possessions. Um, but he hit them at a 43% clip last year, which is just scorching. And, And you really don't see any reason why that should be any higher or lower going forward. And so if you're talking about a guy that is going to be shooting 40% from three on volume. I mean, sign anybody up in the league. And I think Desmond Bain is, I think he's a guy that will be a multiple time all-star. I think he's well on the path to getting a max deal from the Grizzlies. And he's a guy, you know, I, I very much expect him to be averaging in the twenties this upcoming season and just bombing from three. Yeah, at worst, he's an elite 3 and D player. And I mean, for Christ's sakes, like, at this point, he's entering into his third NBA season. He's already an elite 3 and D player. So the idea that his progression is completed is is asinine. So I Especially with what his path was to get here. So, like, he's a zero. He was a, it's, you know, yes, he's 24 years old. And that can, you know, so he's a little bit more polished just by virtue of that, but it's not as if he's a 24 year old guy. That's a, was a five-star and went to North Carolina. You know what I mean? Like he was a zero star recruit from, uh, so I think he's from the middle of nowhere, Indiana, very late in the process. He got a D one offer from TCU slow, slow to, to get on the court there. Just a late bloomer in every sense of the word. And so when a guy gets drafted like that at the end of the first round and, you know, this is, they lost me on this one is you go like, well, this is just, you, you put a ceiling on a guy like that. And I think what we've seen in his first two years in the league is that that's a misevaluation. Um, Having any idea that, that this guy should have a ceiling on him because he's a little older is a misevaluation. And so I think I, I very much expect him to, be lights out this season. And I mean, you just think of Dan having a guy, the surplus value for your team of having a guy that good for two more seasons on his rookie contract. And this is where it's very curious to me, honestly, that Memphis did not move like Cleveland and Minnesota did. And I think they will live to regret it, to be honest, is they have such surplus value right now with their young guys on rookie deals that 
that that is their core what they have and so it's like they kind of did miss their opportunity to augment that with a veteran player currently and they instead have elected to just roll out the guys they've got yeah i'm so i'm gonna go right into 15 here and and you broke from your board i'm gonna break from my board a little bit not so much in where this guy landed but in archetype um i think this is the right spot to take tyrese maxi off the board um the conversation around Tyrese Maxey is is not not dissimilar from the John Morant conversation, where we have to we have to acknowledge current productivity and what they've done in the league at the highest level and in the highest leverage moments. Tyrese Maxey is going to be the second best player on a team that you know I believe at worst will be a top six seed in the Eastern Conference, and. He he shot 48% from the field and 42% from three last year. And he was asked to do, I mean, he was in that uh, that 2020 draft that you and I are so high on and others just completely lambasted. And going it, being a second-year player put on a team with Joel Embiid, in addition of James Harden in season, they had the Ben Simmons nonsense going on. Like, there was just a lot to being in that situation. And Tyrese Maxey excelled and overcame a lot in that position. And he showed that he was completely unafraid of big spots. He was more than willing to take a big shot. There was a ton of times where when the offense got really bogged down late in games, Tyrese Maxey was the one who greased the wheels and was able to get buckets. And I just think Tyrese Maxey is the type of guy that he's going to cut his teeth early in his professional career on playoff teams. And that, that development that he's going to get just through playing on playoff teams is going to be is going to be unbelievable for his career, whatever ends up happening, whether he stays in Philly long-term or ends up uh, in a new home, he's going to have a rare path um, that is unlike a lot of guys that we've talked about because he's just going to be playing on really high-level competing teams uh, early in his career. And yeah. I already love him as a player. He's he's the guy that so far we've drafted that I'm wondering if he will prove to be way too low here. That and I already feel bad about where he is. To be honest, yeah, you just you just kind of go like, it, it, is it just the bias of the fact that he was drafted lower, you know, than Jalen Green, than Cade Cunningham, than Josh Giddy, you know, because he, I mean, he's performed fantastically for a player of his age, and as really the one mark against him on his resume, like if you're to zoom out and just go like, has everything gone to plan for this guy? It's really just that he had that not great year at Kentucky, which every guard <laughs> Kentucky <laughs> that's a one and done has a not great year at Kentucky, but he just ended up being the guy that he appeared to be through his high school career. It was just a five-star McDonald's All-American uh, Kentucky recruit, should have been a super high draft pick, ended up slipping to the teens, and has all he has done in the league is produce. And I... Yeah, I'm extremely high on him. And it's we're, we're getting to a place where you're just like, how many fucking all-stars can there be? And yeah, no. but this is but this is why honestly, his him being here speaks to what we were talking about with Evan Mobley and like Scotty Barnes, which is it's just true that there are more Tyrese Maxies in the world than there are Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes. Um yes. but the guy is extremely productive. I had him in this spot also. So I think you're right on the money. 
All right, so we are an hour 12 into this pod. We are only halfway through the draft. We're going to try and get through this in 48 minutes. We're going to try and keep this to a two-hour pod, if at all possible. That's so let's... extremely bold. Um, all right, let's go into 16. Uh, 16 for me is R.J. Barrett, recipient of a recent contract extension, uh, guy that was a main piece in the trade talks that fell apart for Donovan Mitchell. He... You know, Dan and I, we've, we spoke about this a lot. You know, we're, we're pretty high on him. I don't personally think he has, like, superstar potential, but I think what, what he has and what I think a lot of people are missing about him is that when you have a wing-sized player like R.J. Barrett that is rock-solid at every single thing, that that is just incredibly valuable. And so, to me, I think his, his ceiling is like, it's not a ceiling, sorry, I think a realistic ceiling for him, because obviously he could blow past this or be much worse, is to be the type of player that Chris Middleton is, which has proven to be the type of player that can be the second best player on a championship team. And so I think he doesn't have like the super high upside that maybe some of the guys below him have, but I don't even know that to be true. I mean, once we've gotten to the point here where I think all of like the potential franchise guys are off the board, I will happily take a guy that you can slot in on the wing. He's going to play great defense. He can handle the ball a little bit. He can shoot the ball a little bit. He can just do everything at like a B level, which is not super valuable at every position, but at that position at the wing, very valuable. Yeah. He was going to be next on my board as well. I debated between him and Maxi. Um, 17 for me is going to be Jordan Poole. Um, Jordan, Jordan Poole, this is probably higher than you had him. I think it, it breaks away a little bit from what I said earlier in the pod. He is He's proven himself to be a really adept offensive player. He's obviously a great shooter. And in Golden State, he's, he's shown he can, he can do some stuff off the dribble. He's not a great creator. Um, at this point in his career, and he also has not proven to be a great defender. Um, here's what I'll say about Jordan Poole, though, and the reason that I would bet long-term on him. So the offense, I think, is um, is pretty phenomenal, honestly, with his ability to shoot. Um, what, oh, I yeah. like about, what I like about him is he's just got some dog in him. Um, he really is a hyper-competitive guy, and I think being on the Warriors – some of the stuff coming from the guys he plays with, not not dissimilar to what we said about Kaminga, I think there's going to be qualities that bleed over to him. Now, that doesn't mean that he's going to become prime clay on the wing <laughs> defensively, but I think it will allow him to maybe go from a guy who has traditionally not cared about that aspect of his game to maybe a league average defender. And offensively, I think he's got plenty of room to grow. And again, as a young player to already do what he's done, I think sometimes what we look at is we go, well, you know, I don't like that he's not a great passer and he looks for a shot too often. And it's like, well, I mean, he's, I'm sorry, like he's in his fourth NBA season upcoming. Like there, there are, there's time for him to figure that out. There are very few guys that have been able to score the way that he has. And he's one of the best shooters on the board. Um, and so I, I think it's more than fair to put Jordan Poole at 17. I'm very curious as his career continues in Golden State what they choose to do with that because I really think for him to get the type of money that he def him and his agent definitely believe that he is owed, he's going to really need to in this upcoming season be a, a much more well-rounded player than he's shown 
through his first three years if he wants that contract from Golden State. I think those are all good points. And Jordan Poole, I didn't want to have to name players before we started this, but Jordan Poole was in a group of players that I had that I was referring to when I was talking about the Tobias Harris comparison earlier, which to take another guy that we've already drafted off the board in this comparison, then it's like Jaden McDaniels, which is, I think that a player like Jaden McDaniels is more valuable than a player like Jordan Poole because it's just more plug and play. I think in all likelihood, if you're a good team, you have players already on your roster that are better at what Jordan Poole does than Jordan Poole, which is obviously the case. I mean, he's on a championship team, so that's that's not like super applicable to every. But if you're just talking about a, a like a good team, I think you're you're likely to have guys that are better at that than him. And so it's not as though I think that type of player is not valuable or not good. It's just that. I'm looking at some of the other type of guys you could have to round out a team around star players. Cause that's really what it comes down to is I don't think Jordan Poole is a star player. And so if he's not a star player, how are you going to play around the stars on your team? And clearly he's done a really good job at, of it. He is, he was a major part of the Warriors winning the championship, but I would just value some of these more plug and play three, four type of guys. Like you're going to see on my board here, I'm about to take a guard, but after that, I might not take another guard for the rest of the for the rest of the pod. So let's just go okay. right into that because I think yeah. this this, this is guard? perhaps this is perhaps the guy you were debating between him and Jordan Poole, which is Halliburton. I yep. think has to yep. go off the board here, and I think you and I are clearly. I think he would have gone a lot higher in a lot of other lists. He has proven me wrong every step of the way. I mean, he was definitely better as a lead ball handler in Indiana, and we're going to find out very soon what the type of ceiling on Tyrese Halliburton is. But I think where he slots in really well and what I like about Tyrese Halliburton is he may have the impact on a winning team that we hope and hope he will be able to get back to, Lonzo Ball, which is a purely additive player that is a ball mover, shoots when is necessary, but is generally kind of a passive player that is not the role he's going to be in in Indiana. So it's going to be very interesting and fun to see whether he's able to push beyond that. And if he is, if that's even a good thing, you know what I mean? Because what he was, what he is currently good at, you can plug and play him on any team in the league right now. And you can imagine what he would look like on Golden State. His, his stats would be a lot lower, but he'd be playing a lot you know, because he's a plug and play type of player. So uh, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to me if this experiment that Indiana is having with him as, you know, like a every down back is ultimately going to be what his destiny is in the league. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Tyrese Halberton is, was the next guy on my list. And now all my tier two guys are off the board. Um, so now we're just solely left with this played out exactly as I kind of thought it would, at least from my perspective. Um, yeah, the only guy, the only guys that so far that you picked that were not in step with kind of where my board was, um, was Jordan Poole, who I had 30th because of those things that I said. And then McDaniels was higher than I would have done. But that's about yeah, it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so 19 for me is going to be it's a real swing, but it's a guy that I believe strongly in. And that's Patrick Williams. Um, Patrick Williams is a player that at, at 
as we sit here talking today, he has not shown anything that would lead you to believe he should be 19 over some of the guys that are going to come after him. However, Patrick Williams is a player that I believe is going to, in, in no small way, kind of make or break what I think the future of that Chicago Bulls team is. No because doubt. Right now is predicated. It's predicated on three veterans in Levine, uh, Vucevic, and DeRozan, and two of those guys are very late in their careers. And so, I think that if Chicago wants to be able to phase into something uh, longer term, it's going to start with the the productivity and the development of Patrick Williams. The reason I'm high on Patrick Williams is simple. He's the archetype that you and I talk about all the time. He's a very malleable player that can defend multiple positions. He gives constant effort on defense. He's really stout, very thick. So physically, I like his frame. The offense is a is a big question mark, but to be fair to Patrick Williams, in the minutes he's played in the league thus far, which I know is limited compared to a lot of the guys on the, on this list, he has not been afraid to try to put the ball in the hoop. Um, I've seen Chicago games where he's you know jab stepped and taken face up jumpers. I've seen him attack a smaller player. Um, kind of in the post and, and do some hook shots and things like that. He rebounds really effectively for his, his size. Um, I just think Patrick Williams, you have to squint a little bit to see it, but he's one of those guys that if he pans out, I think he is a potential all-star caliber player. Yeah. He's one of the, one of the few probably at this point where you could say that about, or at least based on what we know now, I mean, that's the fun thing about doing this exercise is every single list we've ever done there are dudes like when we, the first list we did was in 2019 and we had bam in a tier with like Wendell Carter and Mo Bamba. And, and then that season he, he broke through that in a huge way, you know? And so it'll be interesting to see whether it's a Patrick Williams or some of these other guys we draft here. Surely some of these guys are going to have, are going to show things that they haven't shown yet. And I think that that's the bet for William. So I'm going to take somebody, if Pat Williams is a guy that you draft on, if I'm going to draft a guy that you draft on certainty, which is I'm going to draft Herb Jones here because Herb Jones, this is interesting. I, I kind of expected you to probably take him before me because of what we talked about at the beginning of the pod, which is I tend to, be a little more wild on these and you tend to be a little more conservative on it. Uh, but Herb Jones, I think what it is that he does is so valuable that again, I've said this, uh, you know, I'm repeating myself of like what we said about some of these guys, but what he currently does is so valuable that he was playing 40 minutes a game in the playoffs. You know what I mean? And, and that's not just because he was on new Orleans. I think he's, he is, he's Dorian Finney Smith. You know, he, uh, he's Jay Crowder. He's Mikhail Bridges. Like he is the absolute plug and play guy. And he's the guy I actually was waiting to draft. So I could draw that contrast to like a Jordan pool, which is he may only just be a 10 point a game score, maybe even less than that. He may be a 35% three point shooter, maybe even a little more, maybe a little less, but being able to have an innings eater on the wing that doesn't take anything away from you offensively, but that you could have guard basically everybody except for large centers and lock them down. Sign me up. 
Yeah, no, I love that pick. He was he was right. I mean, I was basically debating between him and Patrick Williams for the for the next spot. So Herb Jones would have been coming at twenty one, if not at twenty. And it's um, fair. I mean, Herb Jones is is three full years older. So I mean, I if you wanna if you wanna say like, I mean, imagine Patrick Williams three years from now versus Herb Jones today. I think that's a very, very reasonable bet. Yeah. Um, this is one of my guys. So this is one for me. Um, he may not even have been on your top 30. Um, I'm going to take Sadiq Bey here. Okay, cool. Um, Sadiq Bey to me, um, I'm just infatuated with Sadiq Bey. So his, his year over year, uh, from his rookie season where he was 12, four and a half and one and a half, he went to 16, five and a half and three, um, his progression to me. So he's, he's six, eight, he's thick as hell. Um, and he puts so much effort into the defensive end of the floor. Now he doesn't have the athleticism of a lot of guys, um, which I think is why he's at 21 and he's not higher up to be honest, but he makes up for it in effort. And what we saw from Sadiq Bay, I mean, for Christ's sakes, he had a 50 point game last year in Detroit. So like the guy, the guy is a much better scorer than I thought he would be at yeah. the pro level. Um, coupled with the fact that he is what I thought he would be defensively. And I like that the year over year shows, you know, both an increase in rebounding and assists, because I think it is reflective of, you know, not only an adept score, but a guy who's rounding out to be more of a playmaker when necessary. Um, I He's just the kind of guy that, especially with what Detroit's building, I think he's about the perfect fit on the wing because he's not going to be a guy that needs the ball necessarily, but he is somebody that you could go to for a bucket. Um and I just love that he can go two ways, to be honest. I mean, two-way guys, there's there's a guy, a notable guy, that is falling on this this draft board. And the reason he's falling is because he's not a two-way guy. So I'll take Sadiq Bay all day. Nice. Yep, I love that we're now in the range. This is the R range. Um, I'm going to take a – I got the next two, two guys on my board are quintessential my guys. Um, my pick here, he's 18 on my board tremendous leap of faith because this guy's not even going to start this season is Onyeka Kongwu from yes, Atlanta. <laughs> Where do you have a Kongwu? I was literally debating between Sadiq Bey and Onyeka Kongwu. And I'm not kidding. Yeah, he's, he's one of the guys. I mean, he's he's so interesting because he wouldn't think he he's what I would foot eight center and no one ever even around draft time no one was ever like isn't that a little weird that Rick, a... real quick yeah go back um i think you might have cut out i wasn't catching you i don't know if you're going to come through on the recording go back to aneka kongwu no problem so aneka kongwu is he's a critically acclaimed player like he's the type of guy that um nba nerds love when you watch him play He's more than the sum of his parts. We're talking about a guy that is a six foot eight center, and even around draft time, you and I were had him in the top five for sure in that draft. Um, no one was ever just like, "Well, he's." I mean, you're gonna really draft a six foot eight center, <laughs> you know, at right in in the top ten of the draft. And the reason you do is because he's just really effective, and he is a guy that. When you look at his stats, his impact stats, 
he is rated extremely well. And this was also true at USC. This was what I also always loved about him is he was like the fourth ball brother from Chino and he grew up playing with the balls. And so he is just a guy that knows how to fit in on the court. Obviously, if you're going to play on a team with Lonzo, LaMelo, and LiAngelo Ball, like you're going to have to play a role. And he did. He excelled at it. Last year, he shot 69% from the field. Um, he had a PER of 19. His, um, his on-off stats are very good. And so the question is just going to be like, you know, health. He hasn't really been able to string together a, a lot of help. And he has a very good player in front of him. But if you were to ask me, like, who's the most likely guy to, and there's some stylistic comparisons, but it's, it's not an apples to apples comparison. But, like, who's going to do, who's going to take that bam leap? Like, who's the guy in the 20s here that hasn't yet shown what he could be? And it's just going to kind of seemingly come out of nowhere and show parts of his game that weren't readily obvious before. I think it's him. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting. Neke Kongu, I, I would have taken him as well. It is a it is a bet on what we think his future will be, um, not what he's shown in the league thus far. And I think that contrasts well with a guy that I'm going to take here. And really just to, to finish off the, the proven guys, this will be the last guy that's really proven something uh, considerable here at, at the NBA level, and that's Tyler Hero. Um, Tyler Hero, you know, he's not my cup of tea necessarily, but when you look at the remaining guys on this list, and we'll get to 24 for, through 30 here, which will defend this point well, Tyler Hero is a legitimate 21-point-a-game scorer at the NBA level. Year over year, his, his shooting averages have gone up his scoring averages have gone up. He shoots 40%. He shot 40% from three last year and 45 from the field. And it's just one of those things where we argued earlier in the podcast that scores are kind of a dime a dozen. You can find guys that can go for 20. But my argument is with the guys we have left, if I take Tyler Hero here, you know you're getting 20. With yep. the guys left, you really have no fucking clue if that's coming. You can hope. But probably not. No, Almost definitely not. But it's probably not coming. So at least with Tyler Hero, although he's an imperfect player, at least I know that I'm getting that aspect of his game. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think he's the type of guy that, you know, when I had him in this range too, I had Jordan Poole in this range also. Like, he's the type of guy where what we're saying here is that if you have Tyler Hero on your team and you're good, well, he's coming off the bench like he is in Miami. You know, because we already have guys on our team that do what he does, but they also can defend or they also, you know what I mean? Like they do certain yep. things that he can't. And so the reason why a guy like Herb Jones, I would take Herb Jones ahead of Tyler Hero is because that's what we're trying to build. You know, we're trying to build a really good team here. And I know I can play Herb Jones for 40 minutes in a playoff game. I'm not so sure I can play Tyler Hero ever 40 minutes in a playoff game, but he also has been insanely productive for his age also. And so I think he's definitely, his name has definitely taken a beating this summer, I think, because by virtue of like Miami trying to get in on these star trades and seemingly nobody having much interest in him, him not yeah. getting an extension. And so he is definitely primed for a very big year. You would have to imagine that, he's going to at least have the opportunity to start the, you know, the real thing with Miami and maybe he's having a hard time understanding this is like 
Spo is always starting random ass guys. <laughs> so it's like, you know, the fact that Max Struess is the starter and Tyler Hero isn't, that doesn't necessarily mean Max Struess is a better player. It's just that Spo, almost more than any other coach, is a master of lineup configurations. And he it's not just like, I got to start the five best guys, you know? And so we'll see what his season is. Is it possible? Like, it's definitely possible that he's a 25-a-game scorer this year, all-star this year. So we're, we're just going to have to see. I mean, that's clearly not a bet, though, that the league is making. No, and I won either. Um, so what do you got at 24? Here's another one of my guys. Um, it's uh, former Miami Heat player Precious Achua, uh, brother yeah. of God's gift Achua. Uh, center for the another undersized center uh, for the Toronto Raptors, a garbage man. Um, a lot of what I like about him is just projecting confidence in the Toronto Raptors because they prioritized him in the Kyle Lowry trade. They, they played him a lot last season. When you read, and the Raptors are an exceptionally well-covered team, and when you read about their roster and kind of what their season is going to look like. They, uh, Eric Kareen of the uh, athletic was talking about how they have six starters and one of them, you know, maybe surprisingly for people that don't pay as close attention to the Raptors is precious Achua. And so I think he's a big part of their future. He's a big part of what they are attempting to build there, which is the same thing that Oklahoma city is attempting to build. And I think that, He's he he's somebody that I think has as good a chance as anybody left on the board to be a real real impact player on winning going forward as a six foot eight garbage man type of player the the type of archetype that frankly I love. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you 100. percent Precious would have been next on my board too, and now we enter into an interest yet another interesting part of this draft um, with really imperfect prospects. Um, I'm going to take Keldon Johnson at 25 and Keldon Johnson is, is a good NBA player. Um, he's already proven to be a good NBA player. He averaged 17 game last year on six rebounds. He shot 40% from three. Like this is a legitimately like good NBA player. The question I have with Keldon Johnson is, are we ever going to get more than just a good NBA player out of this guy? He, We're going to certainly find out this year. He's going to have all he can eat this year. Yeah, he, he's a, a category of player when I was hearing it where I put him as like just, you know, quintessential, this is a starter. You know, this guy will For start sure. in the league. Um, but I don't know if he has all-star caliber potential. I don't know what he has left um, kind of in the tank when it comes to his development, if he has any leaps left or if it's going to be incremental improvement. Um, the one thing that worries me more than anything with Calvin is he's six foot five, um, And he's not a traditional small forward. When you watch him play, he doesn't have the quickness and agility that you'd like to have out of a three. And he is very small to play a four. So he is one of the few tweeners that I'm a little bit uh, dubious of. I really love tweeners, like we've talked about on this podcast, but he is one that I'm a little dubious of. But at the same time, like undeniably productive, is carving out a really, really good career for himself. He's going to be in the league a long time, and he's a he's a player that a lot of teams would like to have. He would start on a lot of teams in the league. I think it's a very reasonable pick. I had him in this range also. Him, just like Tyrese Halliburton, we're going to learn a lot about you know the reaches of their game because they're going they're going to have that latitude to explore it. So 
here is a guy that, you know, I wasn't really expecting to like as much as I did last season. Um, and that didn't really, that didn't really bear out too much statistically, but he's a guy that you and I are extremely familiar with because <laughs> he played with against the Timberwolves a lot. And that's Zaire Williams from the Memphis Grizzlies. Something I didn't know about Zaire Williams coming into the league, but was abundantly obvious when we got to watch him and you and I probably got to see him over 20 times last year is the guy is a dog and he's a motherfucker and he fits really well with what Memphis is building from an attitude standpoint. And I hope he gets the opportunity this season to start or to at least play more minutes. Um, But I think one of the reasons why Memphis didn't really push their chips in like how Minnesota and Cleveland did is they didn't see the perfect fit there. And I think they believe in what they already have on the roster. And I think they, they feel really strongly about Zaire's long-term upside. And that's just to be seen. Um, he's, he's very tall. He's very skinny. He's not exceptionally good at anything, right? I do believe he will max out his upside. No, it's a great pick. Um, you're right. You and I watched him play a ton, and it, he is he is tough as nails. Um, you when you see him take the basketball court, you would you're not like, anticipate. Oh <laughs> yeah, well, and you just wouldn't anticipate him playing the style he plays. He's just uh, you you put you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he is just a motherfucker to play. I um, thought you know I I I you know I presupposed that he was soft because he yep, was on Sierra, he was on Sierra Canyon. That's the uh, Bronny James team, but it's more than the Bronny James team. It's a Holly. It's not literally in Hollywood, but it's a Hollywood school. You know, it's a school of children of famous and rich people. And then he went to Stanford. And so I just was like, I mean, it's easy to look at a guy like his teammate, Desmond Bain. We talked about, oh, this guy's from rural Indiana. He had to get it from the mud at TCU. The guy's drafted late in the first. People think it's a reach. Like, it's easy to see a guy like that and be like, this guy's a dog. But a guy like Zaire, he's a dog hiding in plain sight because because of everything I said about where he came from. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, I'll roll into 27. This is a guy who I want so much for his career. I just hope that he wants it for himself, and that's DeAndre Hunter. Um, yeah. DeAndre Hunter, it, this is this is the right range. I mean, 27, we're rounding out the bottom of this list. Uh, DeAndre Hunter statistically has completely plateaued. Um, he's been about the same guy every year that he's been in the league thus far. And with the addition of DeJounte Murray... And John Collins still being on that team and Okongwu being on that team. Like there's a lot of possibility for him to play a smaller role if he doesn't really grab the bull by the horns and start and start asserting himself. Um, DeAndre Hunter, though, he's everything that you and I hypothetically would kind of want. Like, he's oh, yeah, a six, he's a six, eight wing that can play both ways and he shoots fairly effectively from three. Like he is a guy that you and I would like. Right now, it's it's questionable whether or not this guy has much upside. Well, we just don't know. I mean, he in the one stretch of health that he has really had in his career, he was quite good in his at the beginning of the second year in the NBA. Last season yeah. was extremely tough for the Hawks, but there's going to be a lot on his plate this year, being the 
the three man on a team with two small guards in the backcourt. And so I'm, I'm very confident that if he's healthy, he's a very productive player. He's a starting caliber player. He's everything you said. He's a guy you want. Is he going to be healthy? And is he gonna, is he going to be more than that? I mean, there's a reason why you know you and I were not super high on that selection, which is you know why are you drafting like why why do you need to use a top five pick on a guy when we can get Herb Jones you know type of situation? Um, sure. So yeah, he was. I think he's. This is a very good spot for him. This is absolutely the range for him, and I think he can be better than this for sure. Um, I'm going to, you know, now we each have, you know, I got two picks left. I'm going to pick, this is, I'm not, I'm going to deviate from the board here and just go with my guys, just like a couple of guys. And, uh, with this pick, I am going to take Jackson Hayes from New Orleans. (laughs) And correction, you have two picks. I have one. That's right. I have two. You got one. It's all right. I got one more guy. I got, I got the two I want. I, I probably Jackson just Hayes. I said that wrong. Um, he didn't Jackson, I'm sure he didn't. Uh, he's one of the most shocking things was New Orleans turning their season around last year, especially when you looked at the guys they were playing when they did so. You're like, all right, you know, I know New Orleans. They started off horribly, so we wrote them off. We're not really watching them play. They're like kind of slowly rounding into shape after that CJ McCollum trade, and you're like, all right, who are they starting? And it's like they got McCollum, that makes sense. Brandon Ingram, of course. Valanchunas, absolutely. And then it's like Herb Jones, who's that? And Jack Jackson Hayes is starting at the four. <laughs> and so, I what I think that they have discovered though, and I don't know if I I, I very much doubt his future is with the Pelicans because obviously that's Zion Williamson's spot and. I think that Trey Murphy, who's a guy that I actually had higher than him, for example, on my board, and Herb Jones, obviously we've picked him. They have way cleaner fits next to their core of Zion and uh, Brandon Ingram. Way cleaner fits. But what I think Jackson Hayes flashed last season is the unique player that he actually is, which is he was used in his first two seasons as a rim-running center, which he is not. He should be because he's tall and he's probably the most athletic seven-footer in the NBA. But what he actually is is potentially a multi-position disruptor defensively. And so I actually thought that them playing him next to a center, and I think this is where a lot of people have been getting this wrong, and why you're now seeing a lot of teams with quote-unquote two bigs is when you have a guy like Jackson Hayes, the best thing you can do for him is actually play him next to a center because he's more disruptive off the ball in pick-and-roll action than he is as the drop man in the pick-and-roll. It's the it's the old Giannis, uh, Brooke Lopez thing, which is you have a very tall guy going straight up playing center in a pick-and-roll but if you have somebody that's athletic and with insane size helping and recovering, very difficult, very, very, very difficult to score against. And I think, I don't know what Jackson Hayes' offensive game is. I would venture to say it's not very good. But I think defensively, I think you find the right team and he will give you what 
for example, Jared Vanderbilt gave the Timberwolves last season. I think that that is, he was pigeonholed as a rim runner. I think what he truly actually is, is a garbage man for. And I think if you could get him into that spot, I think I would have him in just, I mean, I don't, I think he has more to work with, for example, than like Precious Achua, who I picked higher. Yeah, I think, you know, Jackson Hayes, who would have thought that his career gets kind of resurrected by moving to the four? It's, um, it's, I mean, his career is, is, is wild on so many levels. Uh, on every level. I mean, it's, um, it's kind of insane how that played out last year. And I agree with you. Like he's deserving of being on this list. And to be honest with you, before I get to my last pick, it breaks my heart that there's like five guys that I would like to just have on this list that are just not going to. Oh yeah. So we're going to have to do an Um, honorable mention, but yes, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that sucks. Um, That shows how deep this league is, but yeah, Jackson Hayes is a guy that I think, you know, it's interesting that a couple picks we talked about were, were just basically taking offense and acknowledging that they don't play defense with Jackson Hayes. We're like, I have no fucking clue what he could ever do offensively, but I do like having him on the team from a defensive perspective. Um, that's kind of this range is just like, can any of these guys round out their game and play both sides at some point in their career? Or are they just going to be, um, you know, potentially a high level player on that one side, which will still carve out a career. Um, so my final pick and man, it's, it's really tough. Um, there's a bunch of guys I'd like to take, but this guy, um, is just, is just one for me. And I know you like this guy a lot. You actually had a, had a somewhat of a family connection to this guy, not, not a relation, but you know, somebody who knows somebody, um, I'm going to take bones Highland here and bones Highland to me is the only reason I'm taking him is this dude plays so fucking hard all the time. (laughs) And I will just bet on guys like that, figuring out how to be really good on NBA players because he cares so fucking much. And in Denver, like they would bring him in and he'd be a spark plug. He'd make some mistakes. He was a rookie for Christ's sake. So he'd make some mistakes, uh, which is baked into the cake when you give a rookie minutes on a, on a good team. But what I love about him is just, you cannot in any way question his attitude, his want to. Um, He right now plays, you know, I'd say probably league average defense at best, just because he tries really hard. But I mean, he's, rarely in the right position. He gambles way too much, but that's very small. He's very small, but honestly, man, like if you can, if you're bones Highland and you can create a path to an NBA career from what you were given, that's unbelievable. And to be honest in Denver, again, he's going to be just a quintessential spark plug player off the bench who, you know, certain nights you'll see him go for 16 points in six minutes um and also defensively i don't think he's afraid of anybody so i think as he grows and as denver continues to develop him i think you have at least the mentality necessary to be a really productive player uh we'll just see if he gets there i love me some bones man certainly love that pick um my last pick here i think you already know it i think our listeners any longtime listeners know it i will absolutely you know what actually me and ashley my wife we watched titanic a couple weeks ago and the captain of the boat in the movie you know when he realizes that they are doomed you know what does he do he doesn't he's not trying to take the spot of a small child on a lifeboat you know he's not trying to push women out of the way to get on a lifeboat no he goes into the captain's room 
and he goes down with the ship proudly, right? So I will do the exact same thing here, and I will take Usman Garuba off of the Houston Rockets. I fucking knew he was going to be on this list. <laughs> oh, God. Go well, for so, it, Dan, you know me so well. Why don't you tell the listeners why I have Usman Garuba on this list? Well, because you see something in Usman Garuba that nobody has actually seen. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the guy was hurt for a while, and then he was in the G League for a while, and then he was up with the Rockets not playing, and then he was up with the Rockets like kind of, sort of, sometimes playing. At this point, just you you have a blank canvas with Usman Garuba. You paint into existence the picture that you believe it's going to be Usman Garuba. Draymond Green. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's. I the mean, one. to me, that's it. I mean, I think. Let me see. I gotta. I gotta pull up the game log because obviously I was a big fan of him in the draft. He played in my mind. I have this memory of him like playing garbage time in the first game of the season last year against the Timberwolves, a game I attended, and just being like feeling validated after that, which, yes, I'm looking at it. Let's see here. This is game log. Yes, this was his best game of the season. He played eight minutes in garbage time against the Timberwolves, was a plus 17 in those eight minutes, had two blocks, had a steal. Basically, he is he is the, he's the type of player that I wish – Houston was prioritizing more because they actually have a lot of guys like this on their team, which they is, do. he is, he's everything. He's everything I said about a about precious Achua about Jackson Hayes. I think he is. And there's, there's the league has these guys now. And I think they have somewhat of a better idea of what to do with these guys, but I still think that they are undervalued across the board. He's Jared Vanderbilt. You know, he's, he's a, at least at this point, a zero on offense, but defensively, he's a guy that can, he needs to get quicker to guard on the perimeter more, but he's extremely physical. He is a preternatural um, defender in terms of just knowing what to do, being a guy that played in Spain, played for Madrid, Real Madrid, and playing a role there as a teenager. So I just think, I don't think he's anything that he hasn't been yet. I just believe that what he was overseas and what he is to Spain, he can and should be here in the NBA. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen with Houston. Obviously, I would predict no. But to me, like, if there are, I really wish, like, notably, neither of us drafted Elper and Shingun, but I really wish... He's just not the player I want on that Houston team. Like, I wish there were, like, to me, I would love to see some minutes, and they would get crushed, but I would love to see some minutes with Garuba, Jayshon Tate, and Jabari Smith, or Garuba, Jabari Smith, and K.J. Martin. Because to me, like, that's the team they should be building, where they have three guys in the front court that are, that you can play very aggressive defensively because they they are quick and they're long and they're all of those things. And so, yes, Garuba, I'm going down with the ship. But frankly, because we're doing 30 this year and not 25, 
I'm not really exactly looking at a murderer's row of guys that I decided to not take instead of him, so I'm cool with it. Well, somewhere, somewhere, Cole Anthony is like, you got to be fucking kidding me. Usman Garuba and Jackson Hayes, and I can't get a sniff of this top 30 list. Well, what about, um, like, tr- tr- all right, well, so let, let's say, so that's one guy, Dan. Who else? I, I still have, let me see here. I still have four guys actually written down that, um that that merit you know not a breakdown of their game but just merit inclusion what about you yeah i mean there's a let me mention some guys that aren't likely to be on either of our lists but definitely like if you're talking about a top 30 a random listener would have probably thought we might have talked about these guys and i'm talking about cole anthony cam johnson Mm -hmm. um two guys that have actually like cam johnson yeah cam johnson Uh, could be a big miss yeah um so those would be two terrence mann would be another one um, on my list though, guys that we didn't talk about, really, it's only a couple that I was even considering, which was, uh, Obi Toppin and, mm. uh, De- and Devin Vassell. Those were like yeah. the two guys I had left. I'm surprised you don't like Trey Murphy that much. I have a lot of questions about Trey Murphy. Um, primarily, and again, this could be small sample, but watching Trey Murphy play to me, I, I look at a guy who is just, I, I question athletically whether or not he can really turn himself into much of anything outside of a spot-up shooter, to be honest with you. I, I just watched a guy where I'm like, I, and again, I could be dead wrong. There are people, I know you like Trey quite a bit. There's plenty of people that I, you know, listen to their podcasts who cover the league that like Trey Murphy. Um, I just didn't see it. I watched him play. I just didn't see it. That's very fair. Um, yeah, I like that you brought up Obi Toppin. I think, I mean, I have no clue if he's going to play. He's only literally just played the backup minutes for Julius Randle, so we just have no fucking clue. Um, I know. I think it's worth mentioning Quentin Grimes, his teammate. Um, the untouchable Quentin Grimes, the new Anthony Simons. <laughs> Anthony, yep, the uh, asset of the year, the, the poor one out. Um, I think his teammate... Here's something interesting is 538 put out their player projections for this upcoming season. And which part of that is they have a five-year market valuation and they have Emmanuel Quickly's five-year market valuation at 140 million, 138.8, which is very interesting. Um, he I don't know another why. guy. He's certainly a guy, but so he's worth mentioning um, I'm going to also, you know what? I'm going to also mention Jalen Noel, which if we're going to talk about some Homer stuff, I actually, I love Jalen Noel. I Me absolutely too. love his game. I love his attitude. I really hope the Wolves can get a deal done with him. Not be, not for Jalen Noel's sake, but for the Timberwolves' sake, because I think that, I think realistically, if he was given the opportunities to play he's a 10 to 15 million dollar a year player if not more and so I'm a big believer in Jalen Noel's game I'm very 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 happy that the Wolves consolidated that position to free up it's not it wasn't with the explicit desire to free up space for Jalen Noel but that's an ancillary benefit and so I hope that he is penciled in to 20 to 25 minutes a game this year because I think he has he has earned it for sure 
Yeah, talk about a guy carving something out of absolutely nothing. Second-round pick, G League player, going on to a team that doesn't really need that position and just through force of will finding his way onto this team, which is which is fantastic. Uh, another guy that last year, uh, any listeners to the Tough Watch last year, uh, a guy that completely fell out of the top 30 but made the top 25 last year. I think you and I have both sold – not all of our remaining stock, but we are holding a very small position on Kevin Porter. Yeah. Um, I mean, he was really high on last year's list, man. If I'm not mistaken, he made top 15 on last year's list and couldn't find his way under the 30, which is pretty indicative of what we saw from him this past season. Absolutely. Um, um, this, uh, you know, I may have said in a podcast last year that, you know, everybody would want a front a backcourt like Kevin Porter and Jalen Green. I might want to take that back. I might not. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, I'm, t- I'm taking it back for sure. Uh, one, <laughs> we'll see. One I mean, more. they are, I'm encouraged by the fact that Houston seems like they want to extend him. That That's somewhat encouraging in terms of just what's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Two more guys real quick. Uh, Io Desunmu who yep. played last year for Chicago only due to injury, but uh, proved himself in my eyes to be better than Kobe White. Um, for sure. Is, oof. And uh, one more to look at, um, and this this is a deep cut because this team probably is going to be pretty bad. Uh, interested to see if Nas Little turns into anything. Oh, I love Nas Little. Yeah. Yeah, very curious what he's able to do this year in Portland. He'll have a pretty pretty big role, comparatively speaking, to what he's had before. So I thought he was very good last year before he got injured. Yeah, and I thought it was pretty clear that he had finally figured out how to be an NBA player. Before that, I was actually worried that he might fall out of a rotation, period. Um, he proved himself to be a guy who can get minutes, which is good. Um, yeah, if any- we're just going to go, yeah, well, let's just, maybe we'll rapid fire a few more. Like, I, I love K.J. Martin off of Houston. The thing yeah. about Houston is I like a lot of the guys that they just don't play. <laughs> yeah, which is why I'm so bearish on that team. <laughs> They somehow have taken all the guys you and I like and benched them and give an abundance of minutes to guys that we think don't deserve them. So that's not great. Well, the problem that I had with them last year was just that they were not experimenting enough when it was just like unclear why certain guys like were justified in playing 25 to 30 minutes a game and other guys just weren't playing at all. You know what I mean? It's just like, you're like, well, like why, why is Kevin Porter guaranteed those minutes, but Josh Christopher can't play? Like, why is Jay Sean Tate, and I like Jay Sean Tate, why is he getting those minutes, but KJ Martin can't play? You know, and then they just, you know, now they've added even more to it. You know, they added Tari Eason, obviously Jabari Smith, and then they also added um, uh, Old Boy from Kentucky. Um, what's his name? Can't think of this dude's name. Oh, Ty Ty. Yeah, they added Ty Ty. Yeah. Um, yeah. People really like Deshaun Nix there, which I hope he's good because if people don't know who Deshaun Nix is, just Google him and you will understand why it would be fun if he's good. Um, it's just a fascinating team, man. I think that's the. I think uh, this might be the worst team in the league. It's hard to say. I mean, they're just so young, dude. Like that. I just don't. I don't know how they're gonna win. No, they're going to be bad. Uh, two more guys that fell out of last year's list didn't make a cut this year. Isaac Okoro and Denny Avdia. Um, oh, man, I forgot about Denny Avdia. I love Denny. I actually like both those guys a lot. Um, and so I, I especially like Denny Avdia. 
Yeah, Washington is another team that I don't like my my preferred players to go to. Um, I don't like that he's there. Um, I just, again, another team that, although they're going to be a better version just because they have more more talented veterans, like they're going to be better than Houston, obviously, but it's kind of a similar situation for me where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck they're doing, but I hope that they're able to figure out a way to use Danny Abia well. Dude, there's so many guys from that 2020 draft that you just go like, damn, I wish... And actually, you know, James Wiseman deserves a little recognition here. We talked about him with that dude earlier, but like, he just can't make this list. No, I'm obviously, not, he can't. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. The dog's going nuts. That's probably a good time to wrap, frankly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we did. We did well. Two hours almost on the dot. Um, Appreciate the one caller we had. That was excellent that we got got a little participation um, on this draft. But, uh, yeah, this is, like we mentioned at the start, one of my favorite podcasts of the year. This did not disappoint. Um, and we'll see. I mean, I, I think I'm going to have to probably, I hope not, but probably going to have to eat some crow on Jane McDaniels um, at 11. But, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. We need to take some swings. We definitely did that. Garuba at 30 uh, proved it. Yeah, Garuba is a little low probably. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we'll be back next week, um, Sunday more than likely. But we'll, for anybody listening to this, subscribe on call in. We will put out the day before when we're going to be recording it. That way, if you want to listen live, you want an opportunity to chat, call in. Uh, we'd love to have anybody on that we can. Yes, listeners on Spotify, Apple, wherever, call in. It's another app. Download call in. Subscribe to our podcast. You'll, you can get notifications for when we're going to go on. You can chat with us. We will take any and any, um, you know, people to talk to. We'd love to to chat with you. So please subscribe and uh, thank you all for the support thus far. Have a great week, Rick. Take care.